there is kind of a tradition in uh, a former generation of my family of um, humbling people who need to be humbled. And there's a famous story of my great auntie Mame, who uh, had very little tolerance for people who were full of themselves. And she was out to dinner uh, with some uh, acquaintances. And there was a woman at the table who uh, came from a very wealthy family and uh, she liked to talk about how they traveled. And she said, uh, oh, my husband and I, every time we go to uh, England, we love to stay at the best hotels. And in fact, we've now been to London so much at the finest hotel that the, the doorman knows us by person. And when he sees me coming, he uses my name and he opens the door all by, it's, he opens the door for me all by myself. And my aunt Mame said, yeah, at my grocery door, my grocery store, the door opens all by itself for me too. And the woman, I think, was promptly kind of put in her place. And if you have read the uh, passage this morning, you might wonder whether Jesus uh, and God have the same kind of thing. Here's somebody who's proud. Uh, here's somebody who's being a little bit too showy. And um, the Lord uh, wants to put them in their place. So although the passage was read well by Robin, um, um, there's another section that, that I have included and bunched together. So I want to draw your attention to the reading. And besides, um, the more you hear scripture, the better. So I'm going to read it in a slightly loose translation. And it's on that handout right at the top of your, um, of your bulletin. And you can feel free to refer to this or to your Bibles as we continue. So pay attention that you don't conduct your apt devotional practices in front of others to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in the heavens. And thus when you donate, do not sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets in order to be praised by others. I say to you with certainty, they have their reward. As to your charitable givings, don't left, let your left hand know what the right is doing so that your giving be done in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray by standing in the synagogues and street corners in order to be seen by others. I say to you with certainty, they have their reward. When you pray, however, go into a private room behind shut doors and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then comes the Lord's Prayer, which focuses on not where to pray, but what to pray. And we'll concern ourselves with that in the next two weeks. But we move down to verse 16, because here's another section that ties in with the rest of today's reading. Jesus continues, and when you fast, do not be like the sullen hypocrites. For they adapt their faces in order that their fasting might be seen by others. I say to you with certainty, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, if you look at the text that I have written, you'll notice, and I do this fairly often, I will sometimes underline things or put things in asterisks. 
And as you can see, what I have put in asterisks, or in italics, sorry, or underlined are things that are repeated. And it's pretty clear to look from the underlined section that one of the themes of this passage is that God rewards those who practice piety in secret. So we're going to look at each of these four paragraphs in a moment, but before we do that, I want to back up and take a look at the context. And this is sort of to keep our memories as to what's been going on in the Sermon on the Mount and what lies ahead. Last week, we came to the concluding part or to the concluding section of six instances in which Jesus said to his followers, his disciples in particular, um, you have heard that it was said by others, but I say to you. And in each of those six cases, Jesus addressed different things. Um, he addressed murder, adultery, uh, divorce, uh, taking oaths, uh, retaliation, and love for your neighbor. And here Jesus is continuing with another three. You can see that there's one having to do with giving charity, another having to do with prayer, and another having to do with fasting. And the question is, what is the relationship between the six that we've just gone through and the three that we're now in? Well, some people feel, and I'm not saying they're, they're wrong, I think both things could be right. Some people feel as though what preceded with the six were legal concerns that the Sadducees had. Sadducees were the lawyers. And uh, so Jesus is addressing matters pertaining to law, uh, murder, adultery, divorce, that kind of thing. And here Jesus is moving on to the practices that we do uh, when we do church, as it were, or when the Jews do synagogue. Um, giving money, um, uh, writing your check, the offering plate, praying, and fasting. But you notice that there's another difference too, in that the previous six, the concern had to do with our relationships with others, how I get along with my neighbor. And Jesus says, don't just, uh, avoid murdering your neighbor, try not to say anything awful against your brother, because that also is something for which you'll be held culpable. Uh, don't just not commit adultery, uh, but don't lust and uh, wish in your head and go to bed with somebody in your head, because that's, uh, that's in the same fish. And the same with divorce and making oaths and retaliation and uh, loving your neighbor. Jesus, in each case, takes things one step deeper one step wider. But those were things that concerned our human relationships. Those were things that concerned, if you will, the love your neighbor as yourself part of the commandment. You remember there are two great commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. That was primarily the topic of the first six. And now we come to that aspect that has to do with love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And last week, you'll notice, for example, that I puzzled over why Jesus spoke about loving your neighbor as yourself and didn't talk about loving God with your whole heart. And only this week did I see that there is a concern, there's a distinction. Um, and so here this week, we kind of leave the neighbor in the dust, as it were. In fact, we're told to pay no attention to our neighbors. And by that, it obviously isn't a contradiction to what we've been saying in the past few weeks. But the, the point is, is that when you worship God, um, you're not supposed to be concerned about what your neighbor thinks. And you're not supposed to be interested in showing your piety off to your neighbors. This section has to do with God. And so as one finds often in the teachings of Jesus, there's a love your God part and there's a love your neighbor part. 
This happens in the Gospel of Luke uh, when um, uh, the person comes and, and asks God a question about the law. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then somebody comes and says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. That's an illustration of loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, the Samaritan, as yourself. But in the next passage, you remember Mary and Martha are serving, or Martha is serving Jesus, and Mary is doting on her Lord. And Jesus disregards the work of Mary and pays, or of Martha, and pays attention to the work of Mary because Mary is focused on Jesus. So those two stories, I think, are meant to go together. The Good Samaritan illustrates how you're to relate to your neighbor. And in the next section, it's not necessarily that Mary Martha is doing anything particularly wrong, but in this instance, for the purposes of that story, Mary has it right. She has chosen the better thing. She's focused on God and not just on her neighbor. So that's the nature of the transition that we have here. And so as we come to look at these uh, four paragraphs, uh, we want to look at them in a little bit more detail. And I want to just jump ahead in the outline to 3A because there's a summary, and then we'll go and look at a pattern that's alluded to under heading number two. The summary comes in verses one and two. Jesus, being a good teacher, says, if there's anything I want you to get from this passage, in terms of the bottom line, here it is in verses one and two. And there's a little bit of irony, which is why I have put in quotes, pay attention. <laughs> You see, the whole point of the story is about whose attention you're looking for. And Jesus begins uh, very subtly. It might not even have been intended, but I just thought I would I'd note it because um, you might not otherwise have, have noticed it. Pay attention that you do not conduct your apt devotional practices in front of others to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. You know, as Christians, I think we're sometimes tempted to play down the whole reward thing. You know, we should love God for our, its own sake, and surely we should. But rewards pay a, play a big role in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's not about not looking for rewards. It's, lo it's about looking for rewards uh, that are profitable, that come from God, and that are eternal, as opposed to looking for rewards that come from people, which are fleeting Uh, like uh, the chaff of the wicked person in Psalm 1. And in verses 1 and 2, that's emphasized by the fact that you'll notice that there's not even a mention of human reward in verses one. In verse 1. Um, elsewhere, you'll see that Jesus says, if you pay attention to the attention of others and you do things in order to attract attention from other people, well, you have a reward from them. But it's not even mentioned here. It's as though it doesn't matter, which Jesus suggests uh, it doesn't. So there's the summary statement. Don't conduct your apt devotional practices. These are legitimate things, three things, almsgiving, prayer, fasting, three things that were at the heart of uh, a Jewish person's uh, worship life, uh, at least outside the temple in the first century. So the equivalent for us would be um, practices associated with worship, um, you know, um, leading the songs, uh, praying in public, um, uh, reading prayers, uh, as well as uh, personal prayer. Now, there's a pattern to each of these three. And if you look, if you notice on the flip side of your, uh, your handout where it says pattern on the reverse side of the page, in each case, 
with prayer, with almsgiving, um, and uh, with fasting, the pattern is the same. Uh, there is, in the first instance, what the hypocrites do. These are people who uh, are not necessarily insincere, but they, they want to have the added perk of having people notice their piety. So Jesus says, when you do X, um, almsgiving or donating money, prayer or fasting, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the show people. For they do, and then with the math majors in mind here, I have X plus attention grabbing. Um, so they like to do the praying plus attention grabbing. Uh, they like to do almsgiving plus attention grabbing. They like to do fasting in such a way that others notice that they're fasting. In other words, they, they kind of want to be in the limelight. And Jesus identifies their reward in each case or their motive in each case. And that is, and the word comes up, the phrase comes up over and over again in the passage, to be seen by them. You're doing it to be seen by them. And Jesus says, fair enough. Um, they have the reward. <laughs> because after all, who would show off if there wasn't some reward for showing off, you know? I mean, when you show off, people notice. And if it's impressive enough, they go, woo. I mean, that, that is impressive. I, I will give you credit for that. So it's almost like if you if you remember that um, a hypocrite is someone who is like um, the word for hypocrite really described originally an actor. And of course, an actor is somebody who puts on a show pretends to be something more or something else for the benefit of an audience. And Jesus says that when you are an actor in this situation and you draw attention to yourself, well, you have your reward. I was reminded of musicians in the subway and on the street. Um, they will play for you. They want your attention, perfectly reasonable thing to do. And it's a perfectly reasonable thing. If you like the attention and you like what they're doing, uh, you put money in the box. You, you reward them for their performance. Well, in that case, it's, it's, it's fine. It's clear that that's what they're doing. But Jesus was in a culture when he noticed that there were lots of religious people who, in addition to being religious, were wanting to put on a bit of a show. They were wanting to, people to notice that uh, they were giving um, alms. And so he talks about, in this, uh, in this first case, uh, don't sound the, the trumpet as the hypocrites do. I wondered if there was actually a horn-blowing ceremony in the synagogue, but there doesn't appear to be. So I think Jesus is probably saying something like, don't blow your horn when you come to you know, drop the money in the envelope, or don't tell the world how much money you just gave to Oxfam or uh, to the church. Um, if you do, you have your reward. People admire you, but there's a better reward to be had. And that better reward to be had is if you do it in quiet, and in that case, God sees it and will reward it. So that's the nature uh, of, uh, of the, the, the pattern in the first instance. But notice when Jesus comes to describe what we actually ought to do, the rather on page two, he gives us the benefit of the doubt. In other words, he doesn't say, um, don't be like so-and-so. He doesn't even say, be like yourselves, uh, for you do. He just says, go ahead and do it. Do X. And he's assuming that these are good, would-be follower disciples. After all, these people he is calling the light of the world, uh, the salt of the earth. 
So um, this is being addressed to earnest disciples. Um, and I think that that would uh, characterize, um, you know, people, people in this room. I mean, we're, we're, we're here, we're serious about our faith, and we're wanting to learn. But Jesus says, do X minus public attention grabbing. Um, and by that, he means do it in secret. And to, be, to do it in secret is to be seen, not by others. We've got two choices, to be seen by others, to be seen by God. To be seen by others is to be in the limelight. To be seen by God is in the dark. And I put at the, at the top of the heading, um, just for a caption, it's almost as though God uh, borrowed those night vision goggles from the Marines. And God only sees uh, what people are doing in the dark. And God has chosen to do that. And he is blind when people turn the spotlight onto themselves. So that is the, uh, that is the, that is the pattern, and we see it uh, repeated in each case. And God is described as one who in secret sees what people do in the dark. So let's just reflect for a, a brief moment on um, each of the three. And I notice as I come to the bottom of the page that there are a few notes that I wanted to draw a little bit of attention to. A good example of almsgiving is when you go into the convenience store and somebody's playing the lottery. And you hear that, Gagnon, winner, do, 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 do. Gagnon, winner, do, 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 do. And when you hear that, you sort of think, ooh, that guy's just won a bit of a wad. And in the, in the incentive that that person has, they're, they're kind of encouraged, well, maybe I should play again. And everybody knows I'm a winner. <laughs> and also, you're supposed to be drawn to that sound and say, gee, I should play the lotto. Look, look how often people are winning. Well, I hope it's no news to you that in those cases, people aren't winning a whole lot, and it's a gimmick. Um, but Jesus is saying, when you drop your money in the bucket, <clears throat> don't let have the equivalent of the lotto winner, big con contributor here, folks, pay attention. Uh, we are to do it um, without concern for others. Uh, in some churches uh, in this continent, and in many in Africa, when uh, the offering time comes, everybody gets up out of their chair and they go to the front and there's a there's a there's a bucket in the front of the church and you go up and you you, you put your money in in the bucket and i think on the surface of it that could be seen as kind of one of these no-nos right i mean here you are going up and you're putting your money well you'll notice in situations where people do that even if they have a lot of money they'll usually just have it cupped in their hand and not pay much attention so when somebody puts in a few pennies they do it out of shame and if somebody's giving a lot of money, they often will not draw attention to it at the same time. But um, it's, it's that kind of a thing that I think is worth thinking about and thinking about examples in our own church when we ask, what motive do I have for what I'm doing? And I think that the motive in this case could actually be quite commendable. I mean, uh, they don't have a lot of money. It's an important part of the worship service. And so you can make a case for saying that presenting your offerings is something that's done up near the communion table, it's front and center, and it really all depends upon your motives, doesn't it? And my purpose is not to judge those motives, but simply to use that as an example of things that could be taken both ways. I don't know how many of you here are in the development uh, end of things, but you'll know that if you want people to give money, it's very tempting to say that you're gonna put a plaque on the wall you know, that, or on the, on, the, on the back of the pew in church or on the back of a seat, you know, this chair was generously donated by, you know, Fred 
Schnobson and his dear wife, Mabel. Um, and that may have actually been one of the reasons why somebody contributes. Uh, again, some people uh, can look at a, at a positive side of that. Faithful church member, been doing it for years. It'll often sometimes say to the glory of God and uh, out of the generosity of so-and-so. That reminds me at Little Trinity Church, there's a, a plaque on the wall. When I first read it, it said, um, this church got plastered by courtesy of um, somebody, Guterum. And what they meant was, of course, that the walls were plastered. But because Guterum and Warts was an alcohol company, it sounded like uh, <clears throat> one of the Guterums had contributed money so that the whole church got, got plastered. And they're, they're just grateful for it. So the walls and uh, plaques on the wall uh, raise certain questions. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of um, prayers, again, this is, and uh, um, I'm just drawing attention to it. Uh, I mentioned liturgy at the beginning of the service. Um, in some churches, if you're up front, you're expected to do this um, because everybody's doing the same. It's, it's for the sake of conformity. But just in my, my attitude, I think like, who does that? I, I, when I pray, I don't do that. So uh, something will, 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 will rub you the wrong way that rubs somebody else the right way. And that's one of the reasons why we're not to judge. God is the judge. Uh, but if you're doing it in order to make yourself look pious, then it's out. And uh, the same with fasting. Now, fasting situation is a little bit different. There are slight differences in the third case of fasting because, of course, you don't do fasting for 10 minutes like you do prayer or um, putting money in the donation pot, uh, which you do for only a few minutes. But fasting takes a long time. So how would somebody know that you're fasting? Well, you look gaunt. You know, you, 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 you don't put the rouge on, but you put the pail on and you sort of draw your face out so that people um, were, were appearing to look uh, as though uh, they were fasting, which they probably were, but the point is, is that they wanted everybody to know about it. So Jesus is saying, don't do any of these things. Sometimes you'll hear somebody in a, a public place say, may I have your attention, please? And usually you listen, right? Because you know implicitly that when they say, may I have your attention, please, that a public service announcement is going to follow and that's okay. But imagine how weird it would be when somebody says, may I have your attention, please. I would like you all to notice the new shoes that I just bought at Holt Renfrew earlier this week. And I want to draw attention also to the jewelry that I am wearing. Well, if somebody were to do that in public, you would sort of hold your nose and walk away, right? That's the kind of thing that Jesus is pointing to in this particular instance. So what are we saying? We're saying that God wears night vision goggles. He doesn't see the good people do if they turn the spotlight on themselves. So there's, a, there's an integrity issue here that I think is really important. And we need to ask ourselves the motives that we do for any number of different things. Um, let me give you an example that I often struggle with. Um, I, I, I did my training as a scholar in Semitic languages, and one of the things that I learned when I was learning Aramaic was the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. Um, and so when I lead worship, I have this thing in my head. I bet you that people would like to hear what Jesus's prayer was like in the original language, right? 
Um, but on the other hand, if I do that, then I'm sort of saying, hmm, I know the language of Jesus. I must be pretty smart, don't you think? And it all depends, right? So I'm often torn, and I usually choose not to because I think it will draw more attention to myself than it would for somebody else uh, to benefit from hearing the words of Jesus in, uh, in Aramaic. So a lot of it has to do with, um, with your motive. But if in doubt, leave it out. Stay in the dark and conduct uh, what might appear to be impressive in quiet. Issues and applications. Look at the bottom of the page, and I want to consider several things uh, together. First one, why does God choose to see only in secret? I mean, if you had kind of a, a, a very simplistic understanding of God, you might think that God with his old age is, is kind of losing his eyesight and he can only see what's in dark or something. Of course, it has nothing to do with anything like that. It has to do with a choice of God, which we often see in scripture, to resist the proud and to give grace to the humble. That's just what God does. He's in favor of the underdog. So he loves, uh, in appropriate situations, to put the pride in a lower place and to put the humble in a higher place, which I think is really uh, wonderful. But it occurs to me, I think there's something else going on here as well, and that is that um, we learn in Scripture that God is a jealous God. Um, and you sort of think, God is jealous? I thought you weren't supposed to be jealous. No. Take, for example, if somebody is paying far too much attention to my wife than is appropriate, um, I can reserve the right to be jealous. Why? We have a certain understanding between us. We have a covenant relationship with us that involves an element of exclusivity. Uh, parts of her attention are for mine only and vice versa. So if somebody is flirting with my wife, it's okay. I should be, I should be upset by that. Uh, so there are proper boundaries and uh, we have possessions, which ought in some cases to be dispensable, but in other cases, if they're rooted in a covenant relationship, those possessions have been given to us and are holy. And so I think what God is saying, when people are wanting to impress others and show devotion to him, that God is saying, I am not a two-timing God. I am a jealous God. And uh, if you're going to pray to me, uh, do it only to me. And if you got somebody else on your agenda, well, where are your priorities? Uh, I'm, I'm not impressed. And so I think it's a matter of, uh, of, of God resisting what we see in our own culture as the cafeteria culture. Uh, you know, I'll have a little bit of God, I'll have a little bit of attention from others, I want to look nice on Sunday, but not too nice so that people don't notice that I'm trying to draw attention. Um, and here, what God is saying, I think, is I don't want to be uh, an entree in the cafeteria. I don't even want to be the main entree on Sunday. Um, and as we've seen time and time again in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there's a radical God-centered focus that is a part of what we're called to be as disciples. We are called to be all in for God and for God's kingdom and for God's purposes. And as well, um, it's not as though... Um, if you're wholeheartedly devoted to God, then you're wholeheartedly devoted to God and you don't have a lot of extra time to impress others as well, right? So um, be a good time manager, if you will. So I think there are good reasons why God sees in secret. Um, he loves the underdog. He loves to resist the proud and give grace to the humble. And he's a jealous God. I mean, he bought us with his soul, or he bought us with the life of his own son. 
And um, as a result, we are his and his alone and rightly so. Think about the implications of this God who sees in secret. I just noticed it fairly late in the week and I thought, hmm, God sees in secret this kind of, oh, God sees what I do in secret. Uh huh. That has other implications than simply practicing your piety or not in church, doesn't it? And it's a healthy reminder to know that whatever we do, if they're acts of piety that are good, God sees those. If they're acts of impropriety, God equally sees those. So we ought to take notice and we ought to pay attention to the God who sees in secret. You know, I love it uh, when I get to thank people who do things behind the scenes in church. It, it sounds like it's tokenism, but if you really think about it, I'm sure that that's where God's priorities are. Somebody who's not wanting to draw attention to themselves and who's doing something and uh, not because they want attention, they're doing it because they love God. And that is just great as far as God is concerned. Well, that brings us to the third of our fourth issues. And that is what? I mean, here I am in front of a microphone uh, on a lectern uh, with a camera, you know, like zooming. So um, is it inappropriate for me to be doing what I'm doing? Well, obviously, there's a balance to be struck. And in fact, in uh, earlier in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let your light so shine in front of all people uh, that they might um, give glory to God. Uh, what about common prayer? You couldn't have common prayer um, uh, if you were doing it by yourself in a room. So I found um, a helpful distinction. Um, and uh, I hope I can find it in my, my notes. I can. The difference has been uh, summarized by a scholar as follows. The disciple's life is inevitably and rightly public. But that does not entitle him or her to show off their religious devotion. And then he goes on, and I think hits the nail right on the head. There is a world of difference between living a conspicuously good and godly life and striving to gain a reputation for piety. There is a world of difference between living a conspicuously good and godly life, that's fine, and striving to gain a reputation for piety. So sign up for the worship team. Please come and lead intercessions. Um, if you have a gift for preaching um, and you want to do that for the glory of God, uh, let, it, let it be known. So it's not a public versus private thing. And then with this, I want to conclude with a kind of a, a personal appeal, I think, to um, people in our own church. I am personally glad to be part of a church where um, there aren't a set group of people who are expected to be upfront every Sunday um, and just scraping the clouds with enthusiasm for God. You know, I mean, it's just Oh, hasn't it hasn't been such a wonderful week and we got reason to praise God. And I'm just thinking, when I listen to those people, I think, wow, what do you do on the Sunday when you're depressed and on the Sunday when you're not feeling like I am praising God? My concern would be that you have no option but to come in front of the mic and do your churchly thing, right? So I think one of the things that we can do to uh, avoid what Jesus is talking about here is to give each other space uh, for time out. And I like the fact that we, 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 we have lots of people doing different things at different times. Now, that doesn't mean that if 
somebody's not on a Sunday, they're, they're having a bad, a bad week or something, but it just gives space for people to be real. And being real, I think, is what Jesus is really wanting us to do when it comes to worshiping him. We do it for his eyes only, as it were. Amen.